This is a library podcast. I'm Troy. And I'm Tish. And today we're going to talk about issues related to the upcoming One Book, One College program on uh, the book We Believe You. We're joined today by special guests from the Counseling and Career Development Center, Suzanne Nasser and Sharon Brennan. Hello. Hello. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. So we wanted to start off with talking about and getting your input about why it's important that our college focuses on issues related to sexual assault. Well, considering the fact that college-age women are four times more likely to be sexually assaulted than any other age group, and that the majority of rapes are committed by someone the survivor knows, either someone they're in a relationship with, maybe previously dated or has casually dated, um, is in a class with, it's really our duty as a college. We have an obligation to not only increase awareness of sexual violence, but to let these individuals know that we hear them, that we see them, we believe them, and we have services here on campus um, and resources to support them. We also know that this type of trauma clearly impacts students' ability to persist academically. Sexual assault and the related physical and psychological trauma can really compromise a student's ability to uh, consistently attend classes, especially if the assailant is in the survivor's class. It makes it difficult for the survivor to want to even show up. It makes it difficult for the survivor to concentrate in and out of the classroom, um, successfully complete assignments, um, and just really overall diminish their academic performance. So it's important for us to educate students and our campus community as a whole on sexual assault and to encourage our students to speak up when the situation calls for it. What myths and misinformation do you hear about sexual assault? There's a lot of information that circulates about sexual violence and the people affected by it. Um, and as a result, people's beliefs about sexual assault reflect these myths and misconceptions. The following common myths, um, which does not by any means represent a comprehensive list, they have a tremendous negative impact on survivors of assault or abuse, as well as the behavior and effectiveness of friends and family and of medical, social service, and law enforcement personnel. So one common myth is that sexual assault is an act of lust and passion that can't be controlled, right? That sexual assault happens because people need sex, people get carried away by their sexual desires and or hormones or lose control. The fact is that sexual assault is a form of sexualized violence. That is, violence enacted in a sexual way. Like many other crimes, sexual assault is about power and control. Sexual assault happens because perpetrators put their desires over the survivor's right to consent, and the survivor is never to blame. When we focus on the perpetrator's narrative, it leads society to blame the victim and to not hold the perpetrator accountable for their actions. And additionally, we need to remember that sexual assault happens because perpetrators exert this power and control over the survivor and take away any control the survivor has in choosing whether or not to engage in a sexual situation. Thus, sexual assault is not sex to the survivor. It is an act of violence. Another um, common myth that you may hear is that men are not victims of sexual violence. The facts. Statistics indicate that 1 in 16 men are sexually assaulted while in college, and 47% of bisexual men have experienced some form of unwanted sexual contact in their life. Male college students aged 18 to 24 are 78% more likely than non-students of the same age to be victims of rape or sexual assault. The numbers are huge, really. 
Um, sexual assault on college campuses is, is serious um, an issue for male victims as it is for female victims. Incidents of sexual assault against male victims are quite underreported as a result, and especially when we compare it to female victims. It's just really essential, it's crucial that we shed light on this issue of male victims of rape on college campuses and why the disparity exists between the two genders. Society, right, believes that men are emotionally strong, and many people often assume that male sexual assault survivors are capable or are able to cope with their experience, right? <clears throat> like it doesn't impact them the same way. And as a result, these common societal beliefs, um, men are more likely than women to blame themselves for not being able to resist the attacker or to stop the assault from happening. It's important that we challenge these ideas that we have about what a victim looks like and remember that sexual assault does not discriminate. It happens to everybody. Um, of every age, every color, of every religion, every ethnicity, every gender, every sexual orientation, and socioeconomic background. Another common myth, right? We hear people blaming and saying that um, that person was wearing revealing clothing and behaving provocatively or drinking a lot, and so they were asking for it. The fact, the perpetrator is responsible for the sexual assault, the perpetrator selects the victim. The victim's behavior or clothing choices do not mean that they are consenting to sexual activity or that they deserve sexual assault. Um, when we look at what a person is wearing or we're using their clothing to determine if they're telling the truth about a sexual assault, we are again not holding the perpetrator responsible for their actions, not holding the perpetrator res um, responsible for their own choices, and we're putting those choices and actions above another individual's rights. Additionally, it does not recognize that sexual assault as an, is an act of violence. And then the last myth I'm going to talk about, which is certainly not um, the least important, um, is the myth that a lot of victims lie about being raped or they false report the facts. Only 2 to 8% of rapes are falsely reported. This is the same percentage as the number of false reports for any other felony. So when we assume that people are lying about sexual assault, we are protecting perpetrators again. And as a result, sexual assault is underreported. It's this vicious cycle, right? It's estimated that only 5% of sexual assaults on college campuses are reported, therefore making it one of the most underreported crimes across the board. Because of this commonly believed myth, victims are concerned that they will not be believed if they come forward with their story, that people will assume that they are lying, that they will be judged, or that their lives will become even more complicated or unsafe um, if their perpetrator were to find out that they had reported the assault in the first place. We're doing society a great disservice when we do not believe our survivors. Not only is it emotionally damaging to the survivor, but it, you know, it sets a social tone that society is not receptive to others' experiences. This is one of the things that allows sexual assault to continue. We need to remind ourselves that the vast majority of sexual assault reports are true. And I'm going to say again, I'm going to reiterate, that only 2 to 8% of sexual assault reports are false, which is no greater than any other felony reports. Um, our One Book, One College selection, We Believe You, by Annie Clark and Andrea Pino, is an example of how we at Moraine Valley are working to change this common misconception that a majority of people lie about sexual assault. And we're working hard here on campus to send a clear message to our community that it is never okay to blame the victim and that we believe you. So oftentimes we hear people talk about sexual assault as a women's issue. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yes. So, you know, it's important to note that sexual assault, as Sharon has already mentioned, does not discriminate and that it can happen to anyone regardless of age, gender, sexual orientation, or race. I think we've already established that. Though the majority of sexual assault victims are women, men are also victims and we really need to examine how we can make them more comfortable speaking about their experiences with sexual violence. Again, sexual violence affects every demographic and every community, including lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people. According to the CDC, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, lesbian, gay, and bisexual people experience sexual violence at similar or even higher rates than heterosexuals. The National Coalition of Anti-Violence Project estimates that nearly one in 10 LGBTQ survivors of intimate partner violence has experienced sexual assault from those partners. Studies also suggest that around half of transgender people and bisexual women will experience sexual violence at some point in their lifetimes. With that said, it's really important to note the impact on people of color and other marginalized groups because communities of color and the LGBTQ community already face institutionalized racism and oppression that create additional barriers for them as survivors. So we need to be having lots of conversations about these populations and not keeping them out of the discourse. When we think about the services that survivors of sexual assault utilize, we know that they will access services through the hospital, through the court system. Um, they might go to traditional not-for-profit counseling centers. Um, unfortunately, well, let's keep the not-for-profit social service agencies out of this. Let's look at the hospitals, institutions like the hospitals, the courthouses, and um, our justice system, like police officers. We know historically and unfortunately that these institutions um, have a history of um, discriminating against these populations um, and so there still exists this apprehension this fear for people of color um, and for marginal other marginalized groups in the LGBT community to access services from these institutions because of the history um, that is there what do we mean when we use the phrase consent is sexy so consent is sexy right but before we talk about what that phrase means um, I think it's really important that we talk about what is consent and really get a clear definition and understanding of what that is. Um, it's important to know that consent is black and white, right? This means either you have it or you don't. It's, there's no blurred lines with consent. There's no maybes. It's got to be a clear yes and a clear understanding between two people. Consent needs to be active. It's, it's not passive. And when you think active, you mean it's ongoing. You know, it's, it's not just once and then it's over. It's repeatedly throughout the activity that you're participating in, and it's got to be mutual. Um, it's got to be fluid and continuous, right? And a person can give consent to one thing and then decide that they don't want to give it and they don't want to move forward. And so we need to remember that as well. Consent, uh, it needs to be clear. So if you're feeling like you're not sure if you've received consent, then maybe you haven't. It needs to be clear. Um, it's, it's knowing and feeling confident that you've got it and that both people involved are into it. Um, it's got to be given voluntarily where you're not feeling pressured or coerced um, or worried about saying no. <clears throat> um, it can be given with words and actions. Basically is permission that is given to allow both of you to engage in a mutually agreed upon sexual activity. One 
really strong statement that we use when we're talking about consent is that consent is the presence of a yes, it is not the absence of a no. So when we move forward and we talk about consent is sexy, we need to have all of that in mind, right? It's also important to, to talk about um, who cannot give consent, right? Because a lot of people can say yes, but if they are physically helpless, if they are mentally impaired or under the influence of narcotics or other intoxicating substances, they are not able to give consent. Because many students do not have a good comprehensive understanding of consent, um, it's our hope that the phrase consent is sexy is going to really help to begin that conversation and to get them engaged and interested in what does consent mean and what does it consist of. Sex without consent is not sex, right? It's rape. So students need to be having these conversations um, to understand their partner, what their partner's boundaries are, what is welcomed by their partner, as well as um, feel confident sharing their own interests and their own desires and what works for them and what doesn't work for them. So in addition to consent being sexy, right, and that being the coined term that we're using to get people interested and engaged, we need to remember that consent is absolutely mandatory. And because this communication is often lacking and it's a common feeling that it is uncomfortable to, to talk about consent in the moment, um, consent is sexy basically is a catchy phrase or mantra um, to encourage individuals and to remind them to secure consent and to get it ongoing and to be having that ongoing dialogue with their partner or whoever they're engaging in these intimate sexual activity relationships with. The violence prevention effort to make consent both popular and sexy and clear has finally come to drive a long-awaited conversation and discussion about the principle of respecting each other, respecting each person, um, and allowing for everyone to have um, confidence and comfortability expressing what makes them feel good and what doesn't. The bottom line is that getting consent allows individuals to have a good, fun, um, enjoyable sexual experience and fosters healthy relationships and so we feel like consent is sexy just encourages them to talk more and to communicate more openly. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your knowledge about sexual assault and these issues. We're looking forward to more conversations as the fall semester progresses. We want to encourage our faculty and staff and students to take a look at our one book website that's onebook.morainevalley.edu there you'll find a full list of themes and upcoming public events starting in the fall semester. Thank you all.